please speak with your healthcare team before making any changes to your diabetes management. This podcast provides general information only and should not be construed as medical advice. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers only. Please consult the show notes and the product user guide for more information. Hello, I'm Nancy Hanna coming to you live from our Omnipod Beyond the Bolus podcast studio at the 83rd Scientific Sessions American Diabetes Association Conference in San Diego. This podcast will explore the advancements in diabetes management. We'll be chatting to leading healthcare professionals who are always striving to improve patient care. On Beyond the Bolus, we explore innovative practices, new research, and learn about the latest advancements in diabetes care. Today, we turn our attention to the role of technology in managing diabetes. The Omnipod 5 system is easing the burden of diabetes management for both providers and patients. As clinicians, we understand that the journey through puberty to young adulthood can be challenging for our patients dealing with diabetes. Implementing technological solutions during the sensitive period can bring about meaningful changes in managing the disease, and that's exactly what we'll discuss in this episode. I'm actually really excited about our first guest, Our first guest today is Dr. Anita Swamy, Medical Director at the Chicago Children's Diabetes Center and Associate Clinician at Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital. She also serves as the President of Medical Staff at La Rabita Children's Hospital and is Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at Northwestern Feinberg School of Medicine. She received her medical degree from Drexel University College of Medicine and actually grew up in the area that I live in, in Massachusetts, and has more than 20 years of experience with a specific focus on integrating technology into diabetes management. Dr. Swami, it is awesome to have you on Beyond the Bolus. Before we begin, I just want to kind of give a little bit of an icebreaker because I know sometimes people are podcasting for the first time. If you had to choose one person to walk a day in their shoes, and you can't say my patience because that's just too, that's just too perfect. Uh-huh. You right. can't say that. <laughs> well, it'd make it be? me a better doctor, that's for sure. But one person to walk a day in their shoes. Okay, so I have a thousand things flashing through my head, but I would say there's two people that come to mind. One is my mom, and it's because we have very different cultures that we live in, and I think to understand all of the things that she had to go through, we we had some tough uh, relationships when I was a teenager, which I'm reminded of when I see my patients, you know, and I'm very aware of it to this day, and I say, oh, I wish I'd I'd done that better when I was younger. So I think to walk a day in her shoes and see all of the sacrifices she had to make and uh, all of the, I think, patience that she had would make me appreciate her position even more. And then it's my husband. So (gasps) he always... (laughs) My goodness. Uh, (laughs) I think to understand him better, I feel like uh, marriage is a very interesting thing. And uh, I think it requires the same stuff, patience and understanding. And I feel like if I walked a day in his shoes, I would understand him better. Wow. Yeah. That's really noble. (laughs) Just a little antidote. My mother, my mother's originally from from overseas as well. Totally different cultural life. Uh, I have two daughters. They're... My oldest is 10, so getting to that preteen years. And whenever my mom sees my oldest speaking to me the way I used to speak to her, she looks at me and she says, karma. That's exactly <laughs> what my mom says about my youngest, my son, who's super sassy. And she's like, what did you expect? He is genetically you, right? <laughs> so. The women in our lives, they yes, make us exactly. who we are. Oh it's definitely karma. <laughs> 
awesome. Let's dive into the topic of unburdening diabetes care with Omnipod 5. As far as for AID, who qualifies, I honestly think it's anybody who needs insulin because it's very difficult to manage insulin appropriately without other help. And so I'm always telling people that whatever your A1C is or time and range is not a measure of you and your ability to succeed or fail. It is the ability of the systems and the ability of the medications and that these are not perfect and they don't work like the pancreas does. But I think AID gives us an opportunity to get as close as possible to that so that people don't have to stress about their diabetes all day. So I think it's really for anybody on insulin. That's who we should give it to, whether they're type one, type two, doesn't matter. What about you know, a family that might be struggling sure. with optimal care or delivering injections or carb counting? Honestly, I think everyone struggles to a certain degree with the exception of a few who can do it with shots. And I think those are people that are super motivated, super tolerant. And otherwise, I feel like every single person has some sort of struggle, right? It's hard to cover every snack and every bolus and not have lows and not have highs. I think just the nature of how we give things and how they work causes you to have a lot of variability. So I do have the advantage of working in different demographics. I have clinics in... Uh, mainly affluent neighborhoods. I have our majority of our patients are in the south side of Chicago. And so they are a low resource. And so people used to think, well, I don't know how well they do with the pump. Or they would say that about themselves and say, I don't know if I can, you know, I'm not tech savvy enough or I don't know enough to do this. And so one of our objectives as a team is really to offer them the same exact thing because it doesn't matter. These are not extremely esoteric. They're not complicated systems. It's just a matter of getting them to try it. So especially for those who have low resources, I think this helps tremendously because it's so much less of a burden for the family and the kid. So that's really interesting that you say that. It sounds like the only criteria that you require is that they're on multiple daily injections. And I tell them that you keep all of your appointments with us. We just want a relationship because the other thing about AID systems is we need to learn and we continue to learn about what works, what doesn't. There is a bit of baptism by fire when they first go on it. It's not always predictable as to how they'll respond and what the settings should be. So I need somebody who's consistently seeing me for follow-up. So let's talk about transitioning care for, you know, the pediatric group that's kind of moving on to what I like to say the beautiful teenage years, right? I have a child who I feel like was born a teenager constantly. I feel like that's, that's the oldest daughter syndrome that, that exists out there for a lot of, uh, for a lot of families. Um, and I think, you know, one of the critical aspects in managing type 1 is getting young adults to kind of take over managing their type 1 diabetes. How do you all encourage that? How do you broach that subject maybe with families or parents that are not willing to let go or children who don't want to assume that responsibility? Sure. I think um, the, the biggest thing I've learned is actually how to be a better parent through this process <laughs> uh, because there's so many dynamics involved with managing diabetes in kids. And I think number one is understanding their relationship and making sure that it's a healthy one from the start, setting boundaries and guidelines. So well before transitioning, saying things like, well, you can see their data, how do you respond to it? 
and are you yelling at this person to take care of their high number or their low number or is it good job I'm going to give you 20 minutes and you did it well and you're rewarding them so really kind of giving them a different perspective and educating them about what we find works or what adds more burden or stress and there's nothing perfect and I don't know that any of us is a great transition expert honestly I feel like this is a topic we all need to work on but one of the other things we found is we need to address it early so we definitely can't do it as a one-time deal where this is the last visit and then you go see an adult provider so ideally you want to start years prior I also think it's important years prior to speak with that patient that young child or emerging adult alone just to know what their challenges are without the parent always speaking for them or the caregiver. And it's really interesting the things that come out when we talk to them solo. So I tell them well before transitioning, hey, for the next visit or two, let's have you do the visit alone. And then we'll bring in your parent. And then you can see the look on the parent's face like, oh, 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 like what, 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 <laughs> what do you say? Yeah, right. What? And they're like, oh, we'll prepare, we'll write. And I'm like, no, actually, I think the purpose is for them to be able to tell me about their diabetes and then like the scripts and all of the other details and the college letters or whatever you need, we'll take care of at the end. But I think that really helps me assess what that kid knows or doesn't know or what, what's on their mind without someone else always interjecting. Uh, and is, it also helps Is there us. a specific age that you start doing that at? It's pretty nebulous. I mean, I don't have, I think it's really somewhere in the teen years. So 13 onward is, I think, really important to just talk alone for a little bit. Uh, and because they also have a lot of changes and they might not realize that you're not just the diabetes doctor, that they can talk to you about other things, you know, relationships yeah. and how to tell other people about diabetes, dating and how they feel about themselves, body image. I mean, all of these things that I feel like are really critical during that time that we don't have time to always address. And so I like those visits and I think starting early is key. And then I kind of keep a list of things uh, in our templates that I make sure that we discuss so I don't forget and it's standardized for each person. And it's basic like quizzes. So I'll say, you know, what kind of diabetes do you have? And they'll look at me like, what's wrong with you? I've been seeing you for 10 years. Why do you and not know like, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, I'm losing it. Um, I just need you to arrive here. And then I'll say, what kind of insulin are you on? And do you know how much you take in a day? And if someone were to ask you, you know, uh, you're going to wake up in the morning, I give them the scenarios that would be an emergency and how to manage it ahead of time. Kind because, of like a pop quiz, like, yes, okay, your, yeah. your you know, blood sugar is 400 and you've just woken up. That's exactly what I say. I think pop quizzes are awesome. I used to hate them, but I feel like it's the best way. I do it with my kids. I'll say something and they're like, you know, blank faced and staring at me. And then I'll be like, what did I just say? Uh. And so you're like, <laughs> aha, you weren't paying attention. Yeah. So I think more so for these patients, it's also I tell them I'm not judging you. It actually is a measure of how well I have done or our team has done in educating you about these important topics. And so I'm really trying to find out what we missed, right? And that way they don't feel pressure to perform and they're not feeling stressed out. So I think pop quizzes and I'll say like if you're throwing, you wake up throwing up and your blood sugar is 500, what's the first thing you're going to do? And I'm always amazed at all of the variability in the answers because you think that, I mean, these kids are brilliant. I feel like these children with diabetes are the most amazing, brilliant, smart, patient people in the planet. 
And if they've never had this, they're like, oh, you know. And so sometimes happen. they'll say, I call my mom or I'll call you or I'll call my dad or something like that. And I said, well, what if none of us is around? Oh, like, what would you do? Yeah. And so, and they always get it right. At some point, they know what to do. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's good to review it so it's fresh in their mind. And also, how many units of insulin do you give? How do you do it? Do you give it through an injection? Because some will say, I'll change this site and then bolus. And I'm like, like here's why that, that <laughs> right. probably, it's not going to hurt. But here's why I would do it somehow differently. Um, and then talking about drugs and alcohol and vaping, which is a hot topic. And then, like I said, dating or relationships, how they feel about themselves, even if they're not dating, self-esteem. And I think really important topics to help prepare them, not just as a person with diabetes, but as a emerging adult, just entering life. You know, we'll talk about what do you think about college or trade school or what are your plans? So that's amazing. Yeah. So. I wish I could be a bug on the wall and one of your appointments and just <laughs> I mean, kind of sit and be like, I have an awesome job. I will this, tell these you. These are great not, questions. Yeah. These are great. Yeah. That's, I'm sure your, your patients are lucky to have you. It sounds like you have a very engaging relationship with them to make sure they know what they're doing. Right. So that if, if the ship started to sink, what do we do next? Not, I mean, I think, yes, I feel like I try. I don't know that I'm perfect at it. And I honestly, I think I'm the lucky one because these, these kids are amazing and they keep in touch. So I just got a text and uh, I should probably disclose, I don't necessarily give everybody my cell, but a lot of my graduating <laughs> patients have my cell. So I got a text from someone and I, um, after her parents, I was the first person she told that she got into medical school. Oh my gosh. And so it was so exciting and I oh started like crying and I was actually at a lecture oh no. and I was like, excuse you me, and I shared it. I was giving it, oh. I was like sharing it with the people at the lecture and they got it. Um, but it was such a cool time. You know, so and she said, you know, you're the one that also helped guide me, not just my parents. So you're the third person I wanted to tell. And it was really neat. So that's amazing. I feel like that's why we do this. Right. I absolutely. Think, yeah, absolutely. You have to have some skin in the game and have some passion. Yeah, right. Yeah, Otherwise, it's, it's just doing another job. Yeah, yeah. I think these are the things that make you tolerate all the other crap. <laughs> yes, the Maybe the administrative, the administrative yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Well, so, you know, we didn't talk about things like driving. How do you prepare kiddos with type 1 diabetes for, sure. for getting behind the wheel? So that's another sort of protocol. And I think each state varies. Different states have different guidelines, so we'll look it up. I have uh, practice in Indiana as well as Illinois. Both of them are different. One does not require paperwork for me, and Illinois does. And so just first teaching them about the requirements, which is that I have to clear them and saying, I'm sorry, because I wish I had, would have to clear everybody on the road, right? Um, but this is more for your safety. And then educating them, it's good to divulge that you have diabetes. It will only protect you if something were to happen. And because sometimes they're like, I don't want to say anything because why should I, right? And I totally get that because they don't want to be bothered and have people harass them. But I think just so they understand it might be protective if they were to have an you know, emergency and something were to occur. And, and then I uh, make sure that they're aware of the rules of driving. So we have rules of drinking, rules of driving. And so I think it's something we just cover as part of these visits. And I, again, don't think that they're going to tell you everything if a parent is there. So it's important to give them some privacy. Um, and 
I will say, you know, what are you going to have in your car? What do you think you need to have on your person? Uh, how would you tell somebody else that you have diabetes? What are some of the ways that, you know, if you weren't able to talk, how would you, how would someone know that you have diabetes? And a lot like of a people say, yeah, okay. but a lot of people say my pump. And oh. I'll say, well, actually, you know, you'd be surprised. Most people don't know what that is, right? Exactly. And so it's important to have something else. So some of my patients will be like, well, can I get a tattoo? You know, and so I'm like, mom, well, I need a tattoo. Dr. Swarby said I have yeah, one. Yeah, that's exactly right. I've had a lot of that. Like Dr. Swarby said it was fine. Um, and so I think it's, it's good for them and they don't realize a lot of these things. And I really, with the advent of CGM, uh, it's not as grueling. Because I used to just say, we need to know what your glucose is, right? right. And now I just, say, I just want you to wear your CGM. And um, and I think it'll just keep you safe yeah. so and that so, you know what's and happening. And so briefly, what rules do you give them? What are yeah. what are you saying? Are you saying check your check your CGM before you start to drive? Yes. During the whole time that you're driving, you know, make sure that you, ideally, if you can, have alerts on because sometimes that's frustrating, right? And be cognizant of your trends so that if you're dropping low, you can treat yourself. And then also wear some kind of medical ID, have something on your person to treat yourself. And I also recommend having something in the vehicle. And so I always say, like, don't put a Hershey bar in your glove compartment because I actually no. had an uncle that did that. <laughs> and so and it ruined it's the car. Pretty gross. Yeah. <laughs> so we give them advice on non-perishable items that they can keep in the car. Sure. And how they can treat themselves quickly. And then ideally, and I don't live the life of a person with diabetes on insulin. So I say, you know, no judgment again. But if you can pull over to treat, whether it's a high or low, that's probably the safest instead of trying to treat yourself while driving because your brain is impaired so it's not like you're not capable but your brain is not thinking at its max capacity at that point so it's probably safest for you to pull over and treat yourself so these are kind of the basic things and then there's awesome programs from various institutions so JDRF ADA that talk about you know safe driving and they have seminars so we encourage them to attend all of these oh, just that's to educate excellent. themselves yeah that's amazing let's talk about support networks so I would imagine you know, somebody is, you know, in their teenage years, getting ready and prepared to go off for college. You did mention a little bit about how you discuss with your patients, you know, talking and telling other people that they have type 1 diabetes. What, what does that look like? Can you give us an example of what you're advising them, especially as they're getting ready to leave the nest? And I'm sure mom and dad is, are very nervous and want as many people around their kiddo to know, hey, my kid has type 1 diabetes, please. I, more eyes are better. But a lot of times, just as you said, sometimes people don't want a lot of people to know that they have type 1 diabetes. So as far as how do we discuss this in other conversations, so how would you, I say, do you tell everyone you have diabetes? And who do you think needs to know? And if they are going to a facility, like a college or a different location, I'll say, here are the people that need to know. So if there is an RA on the floor, your roommate has to know. And we also ask that the roommate knows how to administer glucagon of some kind. So, you know, whether it's GBOC, Vaxemi, whatever it might be. And uh, that's pretty much kind of the recommendations as far as official. I think talking about it is a lot more personal. And that is really up to the person. So I say, how comfortable are you? How many questions do you want to get? And uh, how annoying is it? But ideally, I think as long as the person living with you knows, and we get a lot of requests, and we kind of go back and forth about this, to live alone. 
in a dorm when they're first in college, and I don't know what the rules are. This is something I would throw out for people to answer and what you think is appropriate. But I actually think it's tougher to not have somebody with you. I've had a handful of my kids or patients who have had negative outcomes and the roommate's the one who found them. And this is before sensors, so I don't want to freak everyone out. They were definitively before the era of sensors, but I still feel like that's a good idea. So I tend to err on saying I'd really prefer that you have somebody with you, but you have your own fridge, you have your own place to store your things, and it is recognized and we have that in your plan. So we will write a letter before they go off for their accommodations. Excellent. Yes. Things I would not have thought about. That's, yeah, it's important. I don't I mean, really so think of these things. things either. My patients have taught me. And over time and practice, you learn. So um, another thing is I have a patient who's taking the MCAT, actually, June 29th. So I'm going to cross my fingers for her. Another one is going wow, to Wow, you, you're putting out a lot of doctors here <laughs> as your well, patients. They're just amazing. really smart. Um, <laughs> and... She sent me paperwork, and it says you can't have anything go off that has an alarm. Oh. And uh, unless you get a special accommodation uh, pass. But getting the pass requires, like, three months' notice. Like, the whole thing is just, I think it's hard. It's Too very, very, yes. Absolutely. And so I called, and I said, can I expedite this somehow? Because she is very conscientious, but didn't realize it would take that long. And she is scheduled to take it. So we found a plan. We made a plan on how to manage it that day. She really did. But I think just things like this, I didn't know. And now I know. So the next time someone says, I'm going to take the MCAT, I'll be like, all right, we got to do this three months ahead of yeah. time. So or we any get all your paper. Yes, I would imagine. any standardized or GMAT, boards. whatever, yeah. GRE, anything yeah. that they want to yeah. take. Yep. The things you don't think of. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So let's, let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about the advancement of technology. It's really, you know, Technology has changed how we manage patients overall. I mean, if, if CGM technology has changed how patients are managing their own type 1 diabetes, having access to all this data, I would imagine, is helpful to you in your clinical practice. Can you expand on, I'm assuming, am I correct Absolutely, to yeah, absolutely. In fact, so helpful that we lose our mind when we can't see the data, right? Like, it's a whole new world and it's legit. I mean, I want to see that data, but I think that I have lived through an awesome dynamic and exciting time because of my age. I've been doing this for a long time. So it's really cool to see where we are. And, you know, I sound like a super old person, no, but no. I'm like, it's back just been in 10 the day. Years. It's yeah, just been yeah. 10 years, right, guys? 10 um, years. Right. Yeah. It's like we used to have harpoons. And um, so I think that, number one, I'm so excited that we have all this tech. I think the other big thing to remember for all of us, though, is tech does not completely take the burden away. There is still a burden, and to respect that for that patient person and family because they have to wear the tech and that is not easy and they have to manage the tech and when it fails. But as far as this amazing, uh, I think, explosion of technology that's occurred in the last five years to decade, I think it has made the ability for the person with diabetes to be empowered. So when I was first in training, diabetes 
I always say this, was very patriarchal or matriarchal. So our patients would come to us with a logbook with, you know, various numbers scribbled in and some like stains that were unidentifiable. To prove, to prove that it was actually a real finger right, stick, right. right? I don't know what is sometimes with they were brown or whatever. <laughs> so you're like, I'm not going to guess what that is. But you were supposed to make heads or tails of this and then like compute, like come out as a computer with a dose. And I always felt it was really random, honestly. And I was like, I, I don't know. I'm just going to think I this is what I think you should do. But what do you think, you know? And... There was also a lot of judgment, like, why aren't you checking or you need to be checking? Um, and I always was really uncomfortable with that. I remember even in training when I heard someone get admonished, and it's not to insult my predecessors because that's what they that's were taught. I feel like that was the culture. Of course. But it was really disconcerting to me. So I said, well, I, I look forward to when we don't have to do this. And I think that is one of the greatest benefits of CGM, right? You don't have to poke. Like, because who pokes? I don't poke. Um, and uh, I have prediabetes, and I was supposed to do all of these things when I got pregnant. I did nothing. And, I, and so I'm like, it's so I'm, hard. Yes. I wore a Dexcom, and I remember when it would be off, I would actually text some of my coworkers and say, oh my God, the numbers. And they'd be like, do a finger stick. And I was like, what? Yeah, exactly. No, that's barbaric. Yeah, exactly. I can't do a finger stick. I agree. Yeah. And so I purposely wore a Dexcom during my pregnancies because I wanted to know what my numbers were, and I didn't want to stick myself. So I think similarly, it gives us the, the much needed information without as much burden, but still with some burden. I think that um, the technology has helped us because now the patient sees a lot of what I see. So it's not just unilateral. There's lots more transparency. And I think that I tell them, like, this is your life, right? So I want you to tell me how I can help you, not what do I do? Um, of course, we're educating, but I think at some point it becomes they own this diabetes and they understand it. It's not this nebulous entity that is taking over their lives. And I don't want to hear brittle diabetes anymore because I really feel brittle diabetes is lack of education on all of our parts, right? Yeah. Somebody failed uh, somewhere yeah, in the system exactly. to educate this person. And so I think that's why I'm, I'm really excited about all the tech. And then I think the ability to do these micro doses on these AID systems is remarkable. So I think that is what parents or caregivers of children with diabetes have endured for their lives. They always say, I'm the pancreas, you know, and they feel like they have to be. And so I think it's a whole different burden that's slightly been lifted. Do you feel like the parents are being put out of business of being that extra pancreas Not now? totally, no, okay. definitely not being put out of business, but I feel like they can breathe you know, and they can send that kid to a sleepover or a camp when maybe they didn't before. Uh, I think the first tangible change is the overnights. That's what I tell them. Everything else will take a while. So I'll say, you know, it might be a hot mess for a week. Like, don't trip out, but just Setting those faith. expectations yeah. of it's not going to be perfect. Right. right no, it's the definitely gate. not. This is and not I a cure. Them, yeah. Not there yet. Um, but that it continues to adapt and things will get better. And I think just that overnights are going to be beautiful. And I say, I hope you sleep. Like, I hope you go on a date night. Like, you know, I think these are important things that we might not think of. And I have the benefit of my neighbor as my patient. So I kind of have seen all of their struggles firsthand and admire them immensely. But I've learned, like, these are also things I should be focusing on that maybe no one does. There's nothing more eye-opening than having a personal relationship with somebody who is managing type 1 diabetes for a loved one. I remember, for me personally, that, you know, everything kind of 
came into clearer understanding when I met people who immigrated from overseas to the United States for technology for their twin daughters who had type 1 diabetes and how just getting CGM technology changed things, getting a pod changed things, getting Omnipod 5 changed things even further. Now I never hear from them because they're not constantly asking me, when is Omnipod 5 coming? And we need to, we need you to tell us. And yeah, it's, it's amazing. Going back to the whole, how has technology impacted this? I think our access to data is amazing and incredible. I love the ability to manage diabetes between the visits. I feel like that is the most critical time, not at the visit. So I tell them the visits are kind of fresh to catch up and talk about everything else, but really we can manage your diabetes ongoing in between, right? So is that in between management? Is that, hey, just call us if you're having a little bit of a hard patch so that we can look at your gluco data? What does that look like? So it's anything and everything. Like we just started you on this. I actually want to touch base with you Wednesday. So not just if you need it, because most people won't respond to that, but if you make a date, you know, Wednesday call us, whether it's good or bad, and let us know. Um, I have an amazing team of CDEs, nurses, nurse practitioners who manage all these calls. And I really feel like that's what gives me street cred is all of their hard work. So sometimes I'm like, I'm so sorry that you don't get to get all the thanks, but they're really the most amazing in taking care of all these very anxiety-ridden calls every day or emails um, or portal messages, whatever it is. But I think it's important to do the touch base because I think people kind of like get excited and we spend all this time, but when all of the problems occur or the questions arise is like two in the morning. And so you're like, what do I do now? And so it's nice to be able to reach someone at that point. And do you find that your your patients, especially those transitioning to you know adolescence and young adulthood, are they seeing the data piece as more of something that's helpful or as a burden of, oh my gosh, now people, like, everybody's going to follow me. You know, I'm just thinking the newly diagnosed type one who's, you know, 17 or 18 years old and like, oh my God, now my parents can follow me in Dexcom. <laughs> yeah. Now they can like look at Gluco reports There's and almost see real-time data of when I bolus and what I'm yes. doing. Yes. So I think that that goes back to their relationship with that parent or caregiver. So it is stressful. And I think it's one more way that that person with diabetes might feel like they're under someone's thumb. So I think to respect that, we make some guidelines. Um, and again, not official or standards, but I'll talk about like, what, what do they do when you're running high? And if the kid is like, well, they stalk me with text messages, I'm like, well, you know, and then so we'll talk to the parent and say, why don't we wait 30 minutes or can we set a time frame of when you can text so your child can actually do school or their swim meet or whatever it might be and just give them some credit, you know. And so I think they're impressed by the outcomes. And I say, if it's not perfect, it's not perfect. But this is going to be your kid in a year. So you might as well get used to doing that now. And so I think actually discussing that and what, you know, should happen. Um, I do think it's really hard. Like, I, I don't want people telling me what to do. So if somebody had a way of looking at my stuff, you know, and saying, Anita, you got to do this now, I'd be like, shut up. Like, who are you? <laughs> of course. But as a parent, that's right. Dr. Swami, I mean, we're both parents. We have yes. children. Yes. If it were our kids... Oh yeah, I'd be, I'd be. I'd be like, hey, take care of that now. Yes, I'm already neurotic about things that aren't diabetes. So, um, yeah, absolutely. So I think it's just another thing to help navigate with them. 
Um, and I do think it's hard for them to have all their data out there, but I also think that they appreciate having the data. So there are people that go through very tough times in emerging adulthood or adolescence, and we know this through the T1D exchange data where the A1C is highest, right, at that 17, 16-year-old mark. And I think that the one thing that is consistent, though, is that they want the tech. You know, it is not, it is just the burden of disease is still there, and it's having to deal with everything every day without a break, but they appreciate the technology. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. Dr. Swami, thank you so much for joining us today on today's podcast of Beyond the Bolus. We look forward to seeing you again. Please come back anytime. I would And we'll cover to. all those other 8 million topics right. that we didn't get to cover today. Thank right? you for having me. Thank you. I want to extend a huge thank you to Dr. Swami for her insights and expertise. We appreciate her taking the time to join us today and share her knowledge about managing type 1 diabetes in young patients and the role of technology in easing this journey. For everyone listening, that's a wrap on this episode of Beyond the Bolus. We hope that you found this discussion as enlightening as we did and that it helps you better serve your patients in your own practice. Don't forget, please join us on our next episode where we'll continue exploring the pioneering advancements in diabetes management. If you have any comments or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Remember, together we can reduce the burden of diabetes. We'll see you next time on Beyond the Bolus. Goodbye, everybody.